So I want to take this time and opportunity to welcome everyone back to our podcast here at Freethinkers Media Network. Our podcast primarily focuses on topics as it relates to news, politics, and psychology. And we have been focusing a whole lot on topics mostly um, relating to psychology, um, specifically as the host uh, and the founder of this podcast, I just felt really that I, I should begin to discuss topics that's going to help people, you know. Um, so that's why we took a break from the news and the politics uh, topics and conversations. But then if you want to hear a lot about uh, those topics, you can either uh, stream it on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music. Uh, uh, any of those platforms, you'll be able to actually uh, stream um, various topics that we do cover. Okay, we cover a lot of subject matters on this podcast. So we're going to continue part two of 10 important things to know when dating someone who has a mental illness. We did the first five um, overviews and on tonight we're going to review and discuss the last five topics okay and um just for those of you who's listening to part two if you want to really have a a better foundation you may want to um dig into part one to have a better understanding of what it is that we're trying to discuss here on this particular topic okay so um we did talk about you know mental illness this that's what we're talking about mental illness um people who are diagnosed with a, a mental illness this is not a podcast to give any therapeutic or clinical advice but this is just reviewing an article on your t- your tango.com your like yours your tango.com okay so we're just kind of reviewing the article and giving some feedbacks and reflections on it so i just want to put it out there None of the stuff is stuff that we're saying as like, you know, hardcore science on my end. I am not a psychiatrist, so I'm just kind of reviewing the article as a point of discussion on this podcast. So let's start with six. All right. So we did the first five. Let's continue. Six is listen without interjecting similar experiencing. Listen without interjecting similar experiences. Now, um being a good listener can get you far in life now i had mentioned this in in part one of this podcast that a lot of the topics that we do cover looking at you know 10 ways that you, you can love a partner with a mental illness that can also be in general you know as it pertains to other experiences so listen without interjecting similar experiences being a good listener can get you far in life when you're listening to your partner explain how he or she is feeling and how the mental illness is affecting him or her. Avoid comparing your partner's plight to others. For instance, you shouldn't say things like, it could be worse. I knew this guy who had cancer or, oh, that's exactly how I felt when I broke my arm. So part of being a good listener um, is is just really using kind of like um, reflective feelings. And we, we did talk about... Um, about this in in part one of this particular 
topic, we, we discuss that sometime what happens usually with people is that they feel like they got to nurture it and to save somebody else, you know, and it's not our job to save anyone. You know, uh, we can't save them. We can be, we can equip ourselves to be better partners, but we cannot force people to see things the way we want them to see them. So part of listening is just kind of really kind of removing this mentality that you have the answer to everything, you know, um, you know, or trying to empathize, right? So when you're trying to empathize with someone, um, you're, you're really kind of just, you can't, it's different from sympathizing with them. And I guess that's what Six is saying with, with sympathy. It's kind of like more like, you know how the person feels. But with, with empathy, you don't know how they feel, but you're just kind of sharing concern. I think, I think I'm right with this, right? So the difference between sympathy and empathy, you know, sympathy is kind of like, oh yeah, I know how you feel. Because I went through this. So what this particular step is saying is that when you're when you're talking to a partner who has a mental illness and they're expressing a concern about how the mental illness is affecting them, stay away from trying to empathize, right? And and trying to use similar stories. No, no, I'm sorry. Trying to use different stories to show them like yeah i know how you feel because the reality of the matter is you know you don't know how they feel right so <laughs> you you don't know how they feel you know what i'm saying you have no idea what it's like to hear voices in your head talking to you telling you to do some really uh, you know abnormal things you have no ideas on what it's like to wake up and then you're feeling that you're on a high and then you hit a low you have no idea what it's like to deal with anxiety that you're just always constantly worrying to the point where you have a nervous breakdown so it's empathy there's there's there are moments for empathy so like the the article said it's good to express empathy but these statements only belittle the pain those suffering from mental illnesses experience on a daily basis just listen Okay, so I love this this reflection that the author here is indicating. Listen, listen, don't say anything at all. They'll try to solve the problem. And in oftentimes we do find ourselves in situations where when we're dealing with people and they're telling us how they feel, we have a tendency we want to try to fix, you know, or we try to come up with an answer to why they're going through what they're going through so when you're dealing with a partner and like i said this may not just be a nugget for those dealing with partners with mental illness it can be just for anybody you know uh, sometime a person can actually call you on the phone like a friend can call you on the phone and they're venting and then they're not necessarily looking for empathy for you to actually try to find something that you've been through to, to let them know I know how that feels sometimes they're not even looking for sympathy or they're not even looking for you to try to fix they just need for you to let them vent there is a power there is healing there's restoration that comes in when somebody vent 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 
So when your partner is talking about their PTSD or when your partner is talking about their depression or when your partner is talking about their anxiety, what the author is saying is try not to interject to empathize in this particular case. Just listen. Just let them vent. Because the reality of the matter is there is no story that you can use to match, you know, the, the, the turmoil, the, the internal turmoil, the cognitive turmoil that they undergo. Okay, so that's what number six is. Number seven, remember that you're in a relationship with them, not babysitting them. All right. And that's for the nurturing people. You're in a relationship, you're not babysitting them, okay? So, let's read what the author said is saying here with this particular step. The author is saying, although you will want to help your partner overcome his or, his or her challenges caused by mental illness, you must not get into the mindset that you are the caregiver or babysitter. Rather, you are a friend and a lover and a partner, okay? Uh, your partner probably has a support team of doctors, family, and other individuals ready to serve as their caregiver when needed, but they don't immediately want you to become their caregiver. Have fun with them and don't let their mental illness rule your relationship. You know, that's important. You know, and I think what I'm getting from reading this step here is basically saying just kind of have a moment of normalcy. Have fun. Do things that couples do you know and and try not when you're engaging in times of leisure and activity to always make their mental illness to become this this big huge topic right so remember you're in a relationship and not babysitting them also is important because then it allows this person to begin to develop some form of self-efficacy Okay, with self-efficacy, self-efficacy is kind of like, how can I put this? In psychology, self-efficacy is, is, is the person being able to see and to be able to experience what they're capable of doing, which as a result of that can ultimately or may ultimately increase their self-esteem. So this is very important. Uh, step number seven is very, very important because... When you empower and, and you, you're not babysitting your partner, you put this individual in a position where they are capable of developing this level of independence, this level of self-esteem, this level of power. And, you know, they, they feel normal. They are able to enjoy life and like, oh, my gosh, I feel great in this relationship because I'm allowed to do things. I feel that, you know, if your partner take you out to eat and they want to pay for the food let them pay for dinner let them let them massage your shoulder you know let them feel that you know though they may struggle with a mental illness that doesn't take away from their power as a human to be able to function on a day-to-day -day basis so that's very very important you're not their babysitter and, and this is also, I'm going to go back here to say that this is also important because 
oftentimes people look for for pity. You know, they look for pity and they're always pitying. No, no, it's time for you to be a man. Okay, you're dealing with somebody who's struggling with depression. Okay, all right, I know that your mother died. You're dealing with depression. You know, I understand what you're going through with your depression. And, you know, how can we resolve this? There are these treatments available. Are we going to go to counseling, uh, medication? What are we going to do to get to where we need to be? Boom, the person begins to do these things as far as seeking treatment. Now it's like, all right, I'm not going to babysit you. I'm not going to pick up your clothes. I'm not going to, you know, uh, every time you make a mess on the table, I'm cleaning it. I'm not going to let you sleep on the couch and I'm paying all of your bills. I'm not going to babysit you. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that's what, that's part of what, how I'm kind of like seeing um, seven more on a stern perspective because there's times that people can, you know, um, just because the person has a mental illness doesn't mean that you have to allow the person to take advantage of you. Okay? Very, very important. Number eight, know when to ask for help. Okay, so the author says you can only do so much for another person before you use up all of your energy or exceed your abilities. Sometimes people with mental illnesses need professional help in the form of counseling or medication to alleviate some issues. Very, very important. Um, you cannot willpower, <clears throat> willpower. Okay, sometimes people say, I'm going to love this person to healing or I'm going to pray this person to healing or whatever the situation may be. I'm going to educate this, this person to healing or no, you cannot do this by yourself. Okay. So when you're dealing with, with someone who, who has a mental illness, you can't do this by yourself. You cannot do this by yourself. You need the assistance of their professional because there's issues in terms of counseling that, 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 that they go through you can't handle those issues, okay? And this is when there has to be a conversation between you and your partner to say, okay, um, when you get to that point where I cannot help you, you know, what what should we do? You know, there has to be kind of like a, how can I, I put this, an intervention plan, right? No one to ask for help. I like the idea of knowing when to ask for help, but then we're looking really at this in a relationship setting. And I feel as though that if you are in a relationship with someone and you haven't really discussed what is this intervention plan. So you, you're dealing with this particular issue. How do we solve this particular issue? What is the intervention plan? So having an intervention plan is very, very, very important to say when you go there, how do we resolve this to basically uh, this is definitely dealing with um, issues that you're not trained to, to, to deal with. OK, and that will kind of reduce the stress in your relationship um, in continuation. If you are unable to assist your partner and believe he or she needs personalized attention and care, then seek it out. You may not be your partner's favorite person for doing so, but it is worth in the end. So there's moments that come that you may have to how can i put this there's moments that may come depending on the severity of the mental illness there's moments that will come where 
you're going to have to intervene on this person's behalf because something has clicked, something has triggered them to the point where, you know, it's kind of like it makes it really relatively impossible for you to be able to get them back to a place of normalcy. So please ask for help because what happens is when people don't ask for help and they don't use the help that is available to them, then usually that relationship, it's a, if it's a marriage, it's going to undergo through divorce. If it's dating, then the, the relationship is over because no one is really asking for help. That is very, very important um, in terms of dealing with somebody's mental illness. Number nine, try not to try not to take things too personally. <laughs> I love number nine. I love number nine because when I was teaching, I you know one of the, one of the blessings that God gave me was that my undergraduate degrees in psychology. My master's degrees in education, but in, but when I actually went for my master's in education, I I have always taught in alternative settings where my students had dual diagnosis, and this this nugget here, try not to take things too personally, really was one of the things that I kept reminding myself every time I walked through that door. And when it, when it came to dealing with my clients, whether it was in a classroom setting or in a residential setting, you know, for instance, you know, in a, resi a residential setting where they're there 24 hours, I've had my car windows broken. I've been punched. I have been spit at um, in a classroom setting. I have been laughed at, made jokes, cursed at, but then... At the end of the day, I always remind myself that I'm not going to take this personally because I understand that there will there 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 will be moments that I'm going to deal with, you know, outbursts of behaviors that's part of their diagnosis. But in a relationship setting, let's watch, let's see what the author is saying here. People with mental illnesses may act out on occasion, depending on the illness they have. They may lash out with aggression, sadness, or just retreat into themselves, sometimes becoming catatonic. Now, I want to say this, <clears throat> that if you're dealing with somebody who's lashing out with aggression, okay, you want to make sure that that aggressive behavior is not, um, is not, causing you any harm okay so we're not talking about okay i just gave an example of being in the um a residential setting you know i gave an example of working in the classroom so we're not talking about this, these are your clients you know what i'm saying like for me i got punched and spit at by my clients and i couldn't punch them back <laughs> or I'll be locked up. All right. You know, because of, of their mental illness. So that's in a client situation. But when the aggression is in a relationship, then there has to be boundaries that are set. So I'm not going to say to anyone who's listening to this podcast that if your spouse or if your um, significant other who struggles with a 
a, a mental illness hits you, that you're supposed to just take that, okay? Um, you know, at that point, you know, you have to take that personal. You know, whether you call the police and, and you, you know, they come, they bring them to the hospital, you know, whatever the intervention that needs to take place at that point has to happen. If the aggression is not towards you, if the aggression is not physically harming you, okay, so the person could be shouting, screaming, cursing, that, that's not putting you in danger, physical danger, you know, then I, I think that it's kind of like, okay, I'm not going to take this personal, okay, sadness or just retreat to themselves, okay, so isolation, isolation is huge for people who struggles with mental illness, um, because they're trying to figure things out, you know, they sometimes, especially with dealing with adults, they want to be able to be normal, so sometimes they try to abstain from taking their medications so they can use their willpower to overcome something. <clears throat> so don't take it personal when there's moments of isolation. You know, you got to give the person space. That's in any, any relationship. Space is important in any relationship. It's like if, even for me, if I'm dating a woman and she's constantly always in my personal space, I'm, I'm going to tell her, look, we need to talk because... <laughs> I need time to breathe. Like, you can't be calling me and texting me all the time. That's just overwhelming. You know what I mean? So it's important for, you know, those conversations to actually happen. And I always say that have a conversation, you know, with the person that, hey, when you want to go into your space, I'm going to let you understand, you know, that you may need that space. It is easy to assume the author says you're the reason why your partner is acting this way. But you have to accept the fact that mental illness are unpredictable. You are likely not to the reason your partner feels the way he or she does. And as long as you try to comfort him or her, you're doing all you can do to help. Now, I can relate to this because I dated a young lady who dealt with anxiety. She didn't tell me she had anxiety issues. Um, I had no idea. And this was my ex-fiance. <laughs> I had no idea that she was diagnosed with a mental illness. Okay, she never, ever told me. I found out about the situation um, after we broke up, like literally. And I wish, I wish when I was with her, she, we had this conversation because then I would have known how to deal better with it because I actually took it personal. You know, number nine, I took, I took her lashing out and when we're talking about aggression i'm talking about aggression like she would just curse me out and and this was part of her anxiety issues that she struggled with and then i would have a conversation with her i said what am i doing wrong what did i do that causes you to lash out on me and then she would say you didn't do anything wrong and I think what it was, like, she, she was ashamed to, she was ashamed to um, talk about this in the dating process. And I think that's why it's important that if you are dating somebody, you're going out on a date, you need to ask them this question. They may not tell you the truth. 
but at least you give them an opportunity for them to share with you what they're struggling with. Do you have a mental illness? Do you have a mental illness? Because you don't want while you're laying next to this person on your honeymoon, then, then you're finding out that they hear voices. And the voices that they're hearing is telling them to go and get a knife and to stab you while you're on the bed. And I think that's very important. You know, sometimes we, 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 we see people, but we don't really know what they're struggling with internally. And with this society, the way things are going on right now, you know, for me as a, as a male that engages in heterosexual relationship, I try my best to let women know what they're coming into. This is who I am. This is what you're dealing with, you know, um, and give them the choice to choose. It will that have that actually been reciprocated? No. Most most of my encounters with women, they they don't tell me what they're going through. They don't tell me the truth, and then I come to find out later, and it doesn't work that way for me. So it's like, okay, um, if I knew that you deal with anxiety and panic attacks, and you when you worry, you lash it out, you lash out in aggression. I probably would have been much more cognizant to say. Ooh, I understand what you're going through. So I did not know that she was taking anxiety medications. I dated another um, lady who actually heard voices, you know, and and she and she would see things, you know, and she was prescribed psychotropic medication, I believe, for bipolar or schizophrenia. One of them. And I, I did not know that she struggled with this because part of her um, schizophrenia was was kind of masked as a religious thing, you know. She, kept, you know, she felt like she was hearing from God all the time, you know. And it wasn't God speaking to her. It was, it was, um, it was those voices, you know, that she struggled with. So w when you're dealing with whether it's a man or a woman. The conversation about mental illness has to be um, laid out from the gate because people get into these relationships and they are not having real conversations. And mental illness is a very, very important conversation to have during the dating process, whether you're dating in a single relationship or, or homosexual, or, I mean, I'm sorry, a, a, a heterosexual relationship, a homosexual relationship. Uh, a polyamory relationship, a polygamous relationship, whatever, whatever the form of the relationship is, there has to be a conversation about mental illness. Okay, and I swear on my, on on my <laughs> on my ancestors' grave, okay, that I will, uh, if I ever you know develop some kind of a relationship with somebody. I will have that conversation with them, like, hey, you know, uh, we're we're thinking about taking this to the next level. Is there any histories of mental illnesses in you? And give the person an opportunity to tell the truth, because for me, it's always as, as if like this. From the beginning, I tell the truth, because if a lie is said to me, and I find out later, that relationship is over. You know what I'm saying? Like for me, that's it's a, it's, it's a deal breaker. 
I put all my cards on the table and I want the person to put all their cards on the table and give me the opportunity to love them. Let me choose to love them. And I think that should always be the go-to. You know, uh, we talk about everything else when we find somebody that we really love. But we don't talk about mental illness. That conversation never, 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 never happened. And people struggle with it. Okay, so um, so that's kind of like my little testimony on me taking stuff serious. You know, I, I, I was like, whew, man. <laughs> I'm like, why do I keep meeting these women? I don't know. Like, why do I keep meeting these women who struggle with so much internal, internal turmoil? Okay, so the last one is number 10. So we're going to stop here. 10 is the final point. Acknowledge that their mental illness isn't going to magically go away. Very, very important. Because some sometimes people are very skeptical in reference to science and medication. And they, you know, um, for my religious people, you know what I'm saying? Uh, sometimes folks think that they're going to pray something away. And it's going to be like an exorcism. Like, I'm going to cast this devil out. You know, and the, the person's going to be normal after the demon is cast out of them. And, and I think this is, it's very important for people to understand and to embrace the fact that this is part of their physiological functioning. And in some cases, depending on the severity, they, need, they, may, you know, they may need medication. And they may need counseling. They may need, you know, lifetime counseling, depending on what the issues are. Um, and... When you're going into that relationship, you have to be able to know that, okay, they're dealing with this and this is not going to end. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I, and I have a problem with people who go into relationships knowing specifically that the person that they're dealing with has a mental illness. And then later on, they just run away from the person. If the, if the person was honest to say, I have been diagnosed with bipolar or I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia or I've been diagnosed with anxiety then now if you really are interested with you know and I, we, we did we did discuss this in, in part part one and if you're really interested in you know loving on this person then you have to basically say okay so how can I educate myself better as it pertains to your illness so that I can so that we can have an effective relationship so that this this relationship could be successful that's a better approach because you're not going to love them to the point where they stop hearing voices or they stop feeling depressed or they don't feel anxious or they don't feel manic. You know, you're not going to love them till this happened. You know, um, you have to basically um, embrace that. If I go into this, I'm going into it and it's not going to go away. And I think that Sometimes what happens is that there are people that get themselves caught up in these relationships. Uh, either their partner didn't tell them that they struggle with a mental illness because they're embarrassed or they did know the person has a mental illness. And then they try to walk out of the relationship and then something really m mortal happened. You know, like that, you know, and we're talking about the person either getting physically harmed or being or be or getting killed. Because they didn't know that this person that they're dealing with struggles with this particular issue in their lives. Okay, so while dating someone or in a relationship with someone who has a mental illness, the author says 
you may be expecting them to get better or at least improve after some time, but that's not realistic. The reality of mental illness is that people suffer from it off and on for their entire life. Okay, this is what we we're saying. Understanding that mental understanding that mental illness is a lifelong struggle is the first step in leading to a successful life with it. People can control symptoms of their mental illness and even go into remission, but the scars will always remain. Still, you can have rewarding relationship with someone dealing with a mental illness. So that's very, very important that you understand that, you know, if you're going to date this person, that it's not going to magically get better because you are there. You know, you're, there's, always, there's always going to be struggles throughout your relationship or your dating. And like I, I, like I said, I want, to, I want to conclude with this, that I, I'm beginning to... Um, <laughs> I'm beginning to um, want to have those conversations. You know what I'm saying? Because it's almost as if, like, because I have a background in psychology... I have a master's in education. I'm like seven classes away from earning a doctorate degree in psychology. I'm literally at this point in my life where dating is just challenging, you know, and it's almost as if like people just hide so much and they're embarrassed to talk about their real issues. And it's almost like, hey, you know, um, we need to talk about this, you know, um, What's going on here? You know, so so the the conversation about mental illness. So don't get caught up in the beauty. Don't get caught up in the sex. Don't get caught up in the financial stability. Because all that is going to change once those, you know, those those issues begin to come up. You know, if there's a trigger or whatever, it's like, ooh, we look like a good couple, but... There's some issues there, okay? So I think that's really, really important for, um, you know, individuals that are engaged, whether you engage in a heterosexual relationship, homosexual relationship, or a poly relationship. I'm going to mention all three categories because I do believe in all of them. I believe that there are people that are homosexual. I believe that there are people that are heterosexual. And I believe that there are people that are created for this poly lifestyle. So... Whatever it is, bisexual relationship, whatever you're into, whatever type of relationship it is, before you settle your tent, you make lifelong decisions, you have to allow this person to give you the honest truth about their mental disposition. Because their mental disposition determines the effectiveness of the outcome of your relationship. Once you have that conversation, then you can build on these 10 important things to know when dating someone who has a mental illness. Once again, I want to take this time and opportunity to thank everyone who listens to this podcast. If you're listening on YouTube, please share. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, please do share our podcast so it can grow. Um, If you're listening to us on Apple Music, share, share, share. All these different platforms I just mentioned, please share so that our podcast can grow. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Have a good night.